respective classes. Little ones to the left. I'm not coming down. <laughs> Socket oh, to them. The English, huh? The way the English speak. If you've ever been to England or Scotland, there's just so many accents, right? And I was in Scotland one year at a youth of the mission base and I went for a walk and I kind of was wondering about some directions. So there was an older man coming along and I spoke to him and asked him uh, where to go and he said something and I said, thank you very much. Didn't have a clue what he was saying. <laughs> oh. Well, it encouraged me last week when Lauren made the comment that um, it was a difficult week as far as getting into the word and getting a message and been a little bit like that for me this week, uh, as you'll uh, understand as we, as we continue on in First John chapter 5. Um, what I want to do is just take maybe a key word or two from these first 12 verses. There's so much more that could be said, of course. But uh, verse 1, um, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. Whoever believes. Well, many people believe. They believe in this and they believe in that. But the Bible word, if we go to the, uh, the root meaning of the Greek, it means to have faith in, to entrust, especially one's spiritual well-being to Christ. Many people can say, oh, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, but uh, the Bible word is more than just a mental ascent. It's the surrendering of the heart. It's the entrusting of one's life fully and wholly to Jesus Christ. But the word believe. Uh, just reading from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings or baptisms, and laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Here we see six foundation stones that we need to build our lives upon. Jesus is the foundation stone, but the first two stones that are mentioned here are not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. What does it mean, repentance from dead works? Well, it means that we turn from, we change our mind about relying upon anything that we are doing or have done to gain favor with God to earn his salvation. And salvation is a gift. Eternal life is a gift. But we see that uh, repentance and faith are linked together. And we cannot truly believe in, in, the, in Jesus unless we have first of all repented. And I mentioned this uh, a few weeks ago in a message. I made comment of the fact that... Um, so many today are embracing another gospel. And when we do not preach repentance, but only believe, 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 we're preaching another gospel. It, it, it re results in another Jesus, and it results in another spirit rather than the Holy Spirit being released. So we, when we talk about faith, we've got to keep in mind repentance, foundation from dead works, a repentance um, from dead works and a faith toward God. And the second verse, we are to love his commandments. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. Well, I automatically thought of Psalm 119. Every verse is to do with the word of God, the law of God. 
And uh, just some quotes, verse 16, Psalm 119, I delight in your statutes, I shall not forget your word. Uh, verse 34, give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. Verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Anyone like honey? Uh, I, I like honey. In fact, I, I love honey. Um, eat a lot of honey. I don't know how good it is for you, but, um, you know, I, I do. In fact, years ago, I remember when the doctor said decades ago, um, cut down on your eggs. Don't eat too many eggs because it was a cholesterol or whatever. And I thought, oh, dear, that's terrible. I love eggs. I have two eggs every day. Every day. I mean every day. Sometimes even more. So I decided I wouldn't listen to what the doctor said. Well, the years went by, as you know, and the doctors changed their minds. <laughs> and I thought, all the thousands of eggs I've enjoyed that I wouldn't have enjoyed if I'd <laughs> listened to what the doctor said. <laughs> oh, honey. Honey is sweeter than honey to my mouth is the word of God. Uh, Romans 7.22, Paul could say, I joyfully concur with the law of God in my inner man. But then he was dealing with the flesh, struggling with the flesh. Well, ever since I've been a Christian, which is quite a few years now, um, my continual prayer is, Lord, I choose your will regarding this day, regarding this matter. It's just a, it's just a prayer of my heart. Not always uttered, but we, we would pray that way every day, Shirley and I. Um, but it's in my heart, I want to do your will. In other words, I want to know what you are saying and I want to obey what you are saying, Lord. And even in the early days of my Christian life, I found myself praying, Lord, um, I choose to be faithful unto death. I think we've all heard of people and we may know people who once walked with God who've turned away from God. And what disrepute it brings to the, to, to the church and um, it gives words for the world to be able to speak. And so there's been a prayer of my heart, Lord, I want to be faithful unto death. Lord, if I am going astray, I give you permission to so work in me to bring me back onto that narrow pathway. To, to know God, to know his word, and to please him. Now, I've got a, an article here, just a short article I want to read. It's out of the, uh, this month's Charisma magazine, January 2019. And you may have read this Probably not in the secular press, but this is a very short uh, snippet of a, of a longer article I read elsewhere. Pilate saves hundreds by obeying the Spirit. If he hadn't listened, the plane would have been caught in an earthquake. Anyone read this? Okay. You know, just in September there was that major earthquake in Indonesia? Okay. Captain Ikozi Mafala saved the lives of 140 passengers on board his Baltic air flight by listening to the Holy Spirit's prompting. On Friday, September the 28th, last year, Mafella, who was a strong Christian, says he felt unsettled all day without knowing why. After landing in Palu, Indonesia, he felt a voice in his heart telling him to make this a quick stop. Mafella told his crew to break for just 20 minutes before taking off again, he also requested permission from the control tower to depart three minutes ahead of schedule. Just as the plane took off, an earthquake struck the island. Mafella says he saw the Asheville moving up and down like a curtain blowing in the wind and told Assist News, it is important that we hear the voice of God 
And whatever happens, we must be calm and not panic so that we can clearly hear the voice of God coming to us by the Holy Spirit. Well, we know that many, many people lost their lives and you've probably seen it on television, that wave coming in, that band on the stage and the wave came and killed members of the band, including the, the lead singer's wife, I believe. Um, but he was a pilot who was in tune with the Lord and felt a stirring in his heart all that day. Now, thank God for his written word that's as precious to us. But God also speaks today as this pilot experienced and it saved very likely his own life and perhaps the lives of all those on the plane that day. Well, verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Burdensome. Uh, would anyone like burdens this morning? Which, could we pray for you to have some more burdens or have a burden if you don't have one? Uh, the word of God, the commandments of God are not burdensome. Psalm 1, 1 to 3. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Psalm 40, and we see these words quoted in Hebrews 10, I delight to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. And then Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So God's will is good. In fact, it's very good. It's um, acceptable, very acceptable. It's perfect. How wonderful that we can trust the word of God when God speaks to us through his word and when God speaks directly into our hearts. I think it was either 1991 or 1992, I was in Hungary, uh, the nation of Hungary. Um, in fact, I was hungry when we arrived and, uh, um, with another friend and we went to the restaurant just around from the hotel where we were staying. And when we wanted to order something for lunch, this was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, the, the waiter said, oh, we've only got one thing on the menu today at the moment. So we ordered that and then we paid for it. And then we discovered after that that the price that we were charged was twice what we should have paid. So we learned from that. Every time we went to a restaurant in Hungary, we insisted we see the, we see the menu so we could see what the price was because we were just tourists and we were just taken for a ride. Anyway, now what am I talking about? Uh, <laughs> oh, yes, in Hungary. In Hungary. Um, only the week before, the last Russian troops had left Budapest and uh, left the nation. So we were there right as the, the country was opening up to, to, to a new freedom. And we were having, there's about, I don't know, 25, 30 of us in the team. Um, mostly came from England. I had taken a group from um, Kualakum Beach with me. And um, it was a former, like a congress hall, if you can imagine, tables and um, uh, headphones, you know, because... Um, there were people that spoke different languages. but So we had them. We had people from different nations, from the former Soviet Union, and some were from Romania, other places, and so there was interpretation taking place as well. But there was a medical doctor who took uh, days of the week off to be in that conference. And at this particular time, she was standing at the back of the, uh, the auditorium because there were no more seats. And I discovered this the next year because we were in that same facility the following year, and she gave 
testament. Here she was, medical doctor. I think she was involved as a heart specialist. And she took the week off to be in the conference, standing at the very back, and she heard a voice. And the words were, English-speaking medical position. Uh, what's that got to do with this conference? And she turned around, but there was no one there. In fact, there was a wall. There was an entrance either side, and there was just the wall. There was no one there. And she wondered, what is happening here? And as she focused again on the platform, she heard an audible voice, English-speaking medical position. Now, this lady spoke English. She taught herself English through reading the Bible, English Bible. She got back to work after the weekend, and because she'd been away, there was mail and magazines and things on the table, and on the very top, I guess in English, there was English-speaking medical position. So she realized, aha, uh -huh, I've got to follow this through. So she phoned up the number that was there and discovered that the job had already been taken that was being advertised. She'd been away for a few days and she missed out. But uh, the people that she contacted asked who she was, her qualifications, and they said, we will get back to you. And I think just within a few hours they got back to her and said, because she was highly qualified, we have made a position for you. So here she was, no longer working nights, no longer working weekends, just Monday to Friday, and they pro pro um, produced this job for her, working with uh, tourists coming from outside the country, and her salary was twice what she was getting before. Pays to listen to the voice of God, doesn't it? God speaks. I've never heard God speak audibly. My spiritual dad in New Zealand uh, on occasion had heard God speak to him audibly. Um, I've never experienced that. You may or may not have heard God speak audibly, but he certainly speaks in our hearts. It can be a whisper sometimes. And as for that pilot that was mentioned, uh, he felt uneasy. There was a stirring. He was on alert. Why, why, why am I feeling this way? And then that impression came, which was God speaking into his heart to, to quickly turn around and, and take off early. English-speaking medical position. Verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Overcoming the world. I thought I'd better look up the, de the definition of, of, um, of the word world. And so uh, I don't know whether you're aware of this, but some of you read this book that Shirley and I put together, uh, the last book we wrote, uh, called Call to Conquer. And in this book I've written a definition of the world thought about it for a while and uh, I mean there could be many definitions of what the world is as far as uh, you know people are concerned but I, I penned this that mass of the world's population who think and act out of a system of thought that rejects the God of the Bible and so excludes him from their whole approach to daily life let me say that again one definition of the world can be the, that mass of the world's population who think and act out of a system of thought that rejects the God of the Bible and so excludes him from their whole approach to daily life. I could apply it to the political scene in Canada. We could apply it to the United Nations, the European Union. Talk about worldly thinking and worldly actions that come out of thinking that way. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 and 4, If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, 
in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So we see the world mentioned here and we see faith, our faith, overcoming the world by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Um, do we? <laughs> do we walk by faith or not by sight? If we walk by faith, we do not need to walk by sight. If we walk by sight, we do not need to walk by faith. Think about that. If we walk by faith, we do not need to walk by sight. If we walk by sight... What our natural senses are telling us, we do not need to walk by faith. Uh, in this book again, there is a, I've got a definition here that's not original faith. Faith in regard to uh, obtaining the promises of God. I'll just read these five points um, and then I'll just go back to the first one. Faith is the action of stepping out on the word of God. We see that with that pilot. Faith is the power that brings the promise of God into tangible possession. Faith is the assurance that that hope for is now yours. Faith is the conviction that the unseen provision is your present possession. Faith is the confession of thankfulness for the fulfilled promise. Now, we could have a sermon on each of those points. But the first point, faith is the action of stepping out on the word of God, as that pilot did, as that medical doctor did. Um, as we began full-time ministry uh, many years ago in New Zealand, we were based in the city of Wellington. But then we were invited to another city south of Auckland to give direction or leadership to the, the branch of this organisation, this Inter-Nom-National Mission Society, and uh, we met with the committee of people and we had prayed and we felt that we should go to that city and give leadership. But out of the integrity of my heart, I said, um, I do not feel we're going to be here long. And I want you to know that like, we're not going to be here for a thousand years. We're not going to be here long. And I, I, I feel I had to say that because if we went there and we were not there too long and we chose to leave, they could be disappointed with us. So I said... I feel that we will not be here that long. We're willing to come if you're willing to accept us on those conditions. Why did I say that? Because I felt in my heart a stirring that there was another place that God really wanted us to go to. It's just a knowing. And very often as God speaks, uh, there's just that knowing. We can't maybe put our finger upon something, but we just, like that part of it, he, he sensed what is happening in my life. There's something he was on standby. Well, we moved to that city, the city of Hamilton, and then came to me the place that we were to go. And I said to Shirley, I believe we're going to get a call to go to Australia. Now, Australia is miles, 1,200 miles across the Tasman Sea. It's about a four-hour flight. Um, and I said, I believe we're going to get a call to Australia. And that was on my heart for one year. And then, guess what happened? We received a call from the same organisation in Australia to go and relocate in the city of Sydney. Well, as far as I was concerned, didn't even have to pray about it. Just knew. I was expecting it to happen, and it happened. God speaks. God speaks today. But, of course, he does not speak contrary to his written word. 
and uh, sometimes I meet people. I'm thinking of a meeting here in, in Toronto years ago. Um, someone came for prayer, and would you please pray for me? Uh, would you pray for my girlfriend to come back to me? I said, well, tell me about this girlfriend or this former girlfriend. Well, she's gone off with another guy, living with another guy. Oh, uh, is she a Christian? No. Were you living with her? Yes. Were you having sex together? Yes. And you want me to pray that God will bring her back to you so that you can live together again and have sex together again. I said, I can't do that. Why? Because of what the Bible says about that issue. You understand? God, uh, oh, what did he say? He said, oh, but the Lord told me <laughs> it was okay. Oh, oh. So uh, don't tell anybody else, but God changed his mind once, okay? But, but don't tell anybody that. <laughs> uh, when God speaks, he does not speak contrary to what we have in the scriptures. And we have to hold the word of God very, very high and honor the word and obey the word. But God also speaks directly into our hearts as we've been talking about today. Well, we were in Australia for some years and then uh, we were at that time living in the city of Brisbane. And I was painting the house, our house, and you may have had this experience. I just felt I was painting it for somebody else, not for ourselves. Anyone ever had that? Preparing something, but it's not really for us to enjoy. It's going to be for others. I just knew that. And I felt a stirring in my heart that there was a change coming, but not knowing where the change would lead us. I thought maybe to Indonesia, actually, as a missionary, as missionaries there. Maybe back to New Zealand, but I just felt the stirring, and it was there for some time. This particular day was a day off and just around the corner from our home was a little shopping mall, about four shops. There was a fish shop and being fish lovers, um, I was there, placed an order, but it just took a few minutes for that order to be fulfilled. But I was stirred on the inside, stirred, 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 like never before. And I'm praying in my heart saying, Lord, Lord, uh, I believe you're speaking to me. Uh, uh, you want to say something to me. Uh, Lord, what is it? And I noticed behind the counter, uh, the, the glass counter, uh, like a little chocolate box opened or a, can, a candy box opened. Never seen it there before. And so as I'm praying in my heart, I just kind of wandered over out of curiosity. And on the back of that cover uh, was, a, was an Air Canada aircraft. You know, Air Canada, white, with the words Air Canada and the maple leaf on the tail. And the moment I saw the word Canada, it was just quickened to me so powerfully it was like I could have flown through the roof. It was such a strong call and it took me completely by surprise. I'd come up to Canada, first port of call was Ocean Falls, way north of, uh, way north of here, and um, it was cold and I didn't have winter clothes and, and, and I was on the forecastle head as we were going in and, and I, I couldn't speak. I, I was just frozen and my hands were kind of frozen. And so when that word Canada came to me, not knowing the national anthem, I said, oh, Canada. <laughs> it's cold up there. And then immediately my mind went into action. Canada, North America, that's where all the Christians are. That's where all the churches are. Why go there? Ever had that response? You know, God speaks the word and our natural mind comes in and, and can question the word of God. Well, I knew that God had spoken and I knew that our next port of call was Canada. Went home, turned on the news to get the six o'clock news. It was just a few minutes before six. 
And there was an advertisement on, never seen it before, never saw it again, advertising Canadian carpets. And then I think it was the second or third item on the news was from Montreal, Canada. So within 20 minutes, Canada, Canada, Canada. And I said to Shirley, I said, I believe I know where God is leading us. She said, where? I said, Canada. And the moment I said that, God quickened to her. There was a witness in her heart. This was the place that we were to go. But then from there to Canada, uh, that's another story over the next few months. Uh, interesting story, actually. But God had to speak that so strongly into, into my heart because we had such a lot of pressure, loving pressure, to stay in that church in Brisbane, Australia. It was a key church in, in the state uh, and in the nation, really, under the leadership of a, of a pastor called Trevor Chandler. God had not spoken strongly, we could have stayed. But it was such a strong call. And then we would have come into uh, some situations here in Canada where we needed to have a strong call to, you know, to know that this is where God would have us to be at a particular time. Well, verse 5 talks about overcoming the world. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. What does overcome mean? It means to succeed in dealing with a problem, to get the better of it in a competition or struggle, to conquer, to master, to prevail over, surmount or overwhelm. Now, this book, Called to Conquer, is touching three areas, overcoming the world, overcoming the flesh, overcoming the devil. So let me just give a, an illustration from my own personal life about dealing with all these three things all at once, the world, the flesh and the devil. And when I became a Christian, I was playing in what I, I would call a big band. Um, it was actually New Zealand's biggest dance hall by size and I had a regular job on a Saturday night and then we had balls and other times that we would use that facility. And uh, I just loved it. I was in teacher's college, about to finish teacher's college and uh, my real ambition was to be a professional musician and to have my own big band. And I was saving up orchestrations to one day when I got my own big band, I could use some of these orchestrations. But I came to know Jesus. And the moment I opened my heart to Jesus, my life changed internally. And I was no longer living for what I wanted to do, but Lord, what do you want me to do? And the moment I surrender my life to Jesus, I sensed God calling me to be involved in missions. It was just there. Anyway, here I was playing in this band and my new Christian friends would say to me, oh, Graham, you shouldn't be playing in a place like that. I mean, this is worldly. Well, it wasn't worldly to me. Uh, the church I was raised in, Presbyterian, we had church dances. In fact, the first person that ever gave me dancing lessons was the pastor. I mean, I mean, this was just normal. It was a very worldly kind of a church and it wasn't, wasn't wrong for me. But as the days went by, I became a stranger in the place I loved the most. And I just knew that God wanted me to give up being part of that scene, to give up being part of that, that band. But it was hard because I loved it so much and my future was set on having my own big band and you know, travelling and my work clothes would be, you know, the dinner suit, white breast, black bow tie, you know. Uh, that's how I thought of things in the future. But I loved being there. But now I was becoming a stranger. So there was a battle taking place in my life. The world was pulling. The flesh was pulling. 
What's the flesh? It's the sinful nature that we were born with because we've all followed Adam and Eve uh, in going our own way. But behind it all was the, was the enemy, the devil as well, who did not want me to embrace God's will for my life. And so I said, oh Lord, I, finally I said, I'll, I'll, I'll give my resignation next Saturday night. Got there Saturday night, couldn't do it. Uh, I'll give my resignation the next Saturday night. Got there the next Saturday night, couldn't do it. I so loved what I was doing and I had my own plan set for the future. And that night as I did an ad-lib solo, I played tenor saxophone, um, I played like I have never played in my life. There was such a freedom, such an ability. It was like I was touching a dimension that would become more and more uh, part of my life in the future if I kept going my own way. It, it was exhilarating. But God was speaking. So finally I gave my resignation and my band leader said to me, Graham, you're a fool. You've got the world at your feet. Worldly thinking, worldly speaking. But I knew that God had spoken and I had to follow through with what God said. Well, he said, I can't accept your resignation immediately. I need you for the next three months. So I hung in there for three more months until he got a replacement for me and so on. But I had to make decisions. I had to overcome and by God's grace I was able to overcome. And then I just felt in my heart that I needed to destroy all the music I had. Not that it was sinful, I took out all my illustrations. Uh, um, I, I took out no CDs in those days, but the records I had, I took them all out. I started a, a fire in a 44-gallon drum, and one by one I threw in the orchestrations and I threw in the records and I burnt them. No one said to do it, but I just felt I had to put my God to death because music had become the God of my life at that particular time. Is God against music? Of course not. But whatever becomes before ourselves and God, whatever is the most important thing, that's the God in our life. And I had to lay down my God, destroy my God, burn my God. And I did that. And I have no regrets for the decision I made. It wasn't too long before I connected with Shirley and her family and... Uh, I didn't know that I'd be involved in in Christian music and Shirley was a songwriter and uh, so anyway, another dimension of music opened up but only after I was willing to put to death uh, and overcome those struggles that I had on the inside. Verse 6. Verse 6. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with water only but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Oh, this is where I started to have some struggles. I, I wonder if someone else would like to take over now and just expound on these words. Is there anyone that would like to do that? When I read this passage initially, I thought, oh dear, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? Well, I was encouraged as I looked up some you know, various sources to get understanding in this passage that one of the commentators said this, the good news is that the very best Bible scholars, textual critics, commentators and preachers have been studying this passage for centuries to do with the water and the blood. So we've had our best people on it, so to speak, for a very long time and these people have produced a lot of scholarly product. That's the good news. But the bad news is <laughs> that they don't agree. 
And that is a testimony to the true difficulty of this passage. I thought, oh, I'm not the only one who's struggling or who has struggled. But the second piece of good news is that even though they don't agree, four ideas keep rising to the top, although in various forms. And I'll just read these to you and um, just talk a little bit. Uh, some, number one, some commentators understand the water and the blood to be symbolic references to the sacraments of baptism and communion, and Martin Luther held this view. Secondly, how can we not link this passage to that scripture, and in the same author's gospel, by the way, where we see the blood and water flowing from Jesus' side? John chapter 19, uh, Augustine held this view. Thirdly, this could be referencing the purification rites and the blood sacrifices in the Old Testament. Uh, Calvin held this view. Uh, fourthly, the water could be re referencing Jesus' baptism, while the blood could be referencing his death on the cross. Tillian held this view. And this makes the best use of the context, and so it goes on. Now, who would you want to follow? Uh, Luther, uh, Tertullian, uh, um, uh, Augustine? <sighs> There are many different views on this portion of scripture, some of which are variations on the above four and some of which are totally different but not broadly held. Although it would be interesting to know precisely what John was going for here, knowing that this is not a deal breaker for, deal breaker for salvation. You see, no matter what John meant to communicate in this passage, Jesus was all things he described. As such, he was the only name given under heaven by which humankind can be saved. And that's always the point to which to any witness about Jesus. Well, something to think about. And if you have any revelation about that passage, please let me know. Verse 7 and verse 8, For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three are in agreement. So I uh, looked up different scriptures here to do with uh, agreement. And as you probably know, that um, the scriptures talks about uh, as a single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed on the evidence of two or three witnesses a matter shall be confirmed. And many times in the scriptures, Old and New Testament, we see these words uh, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. And here we see the spirit and the water and the blood. These three are in agreement. But verse 9 says, the testimony of God is greater. Now, I tend to think regarding that fourth point I mentioned about the baptism of Jesus and his death on the cross. Baptism. In Matthew chapter 3, 13 to 17, we read of Jesus coming to John, wanting to be baptized in the Jordan, and John said, hey, I should be coming to you. But Jesus said, no, I want to do this. Um, you know, I want to fulfill all righteousness. And he was setting us an example of how he wanted to f us to follow him and to be baptized in water and what that, that meant. And then the cross, Matthew 27, verse 33 on, from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Well, in water baptism, Jesus identified with us in his humanity, with our sinfulness and our need to repent, to die to sin and self and this present evil world, and to live in a power of a resurrected life. He had no sin himself, therefore nothing to repent of. 
But Jesus identified with us in water baptism. Um, but in the cross, again, Jesus identified with us, taking our place and the judgment due us for the breaking of God's laws and by offering himself as a perfect substitute. Thus, the justice of God was satisfied. I was raised in a Presbyterian background and had been baptized or sprinkled as an infant. Maybe some of you have had a similar background. And so when I became a Christian, my new Christian friends, many of whom were Baptists, said, you need to be baptized in water, brother. And the more pressure they put upon me, the more I dug in and said, no, I've been baptized. But that's not Bible baptism. Well, I didn't know the Bible like they knew the Bible. I didn't know that the word baptize is the word uh, comes from the root bapto, to dip. Uh, baptizo means to totally overwhelm or overwhelm, whether it be suffering, the Holy Spirit, or water, different baptisms. So I, I dug my toes in. But one night I went to a Baptist church where a baptism was taking place by, by immersion, full immersion. For some reason, the, the pastor had waders on, like a fisherman's waders, and I thought, dear, does he have a fear of water or something? I don't know. Uh, uh, I've never seen a pastor in the baptismal tank wearing waders like that. But person after person identified with Jesus, yes, I've given my life to Jesus, he's my Lord, and then down they went under the water, and up they came. And it spoke a thousand words to me. I need to be baptized in water like that. Identifying with Jesus, when we identify with Jesus, it's death to self, it's death, death to sin, it's death to this present evil world. And what do we do with dead people? We bury them under the water. But in Christ we don't stay dead, we are raised up into newness of life. And I saw it, I saw it, I saw it. And as soon as the service was over, I went up to the pastor, I said, please, can you baptize me in water now? Well, young man... He didn't actually say these words, but uh, uh, before we baptize anyone with water in this church, we have to have uh, 200 years of study from the Bible so we know, you know. I said, I can't wait. No, I can't wait a few weeks. And uh, another Presbyterian guy and myself, we found uh, an open Brethren Assembly, that Plymouth Brethren that Shirley had been raised in. Um, we, we found a place the next Sunday night where we could be baptized like that in water. It was an amazing experience for me. I've never, ever had such an experience in church before. You say, what happened? What happened? I got thoroughly wet. <laughs> but I felt good. I had obeyed the Lord. I believe God had put on my heart, you need to be baptized by immersion. Not that water baptism saves us. It's the blood of Jesus being applied to our heart that saves us. But... Jesus told his disciples to go and preach the gospel and, and uh, the people would believe and people would be baptized in water. It's very important, I believe, more important than many of us realize. Water baptism. Well, let me just read. You, guess, you never guess where I'm going to read from. Huh? If I said day 49, the mystery of the Talmud. Book of Mysteries. It was mid-afternoon. He took me into a chamber in the middle of which was a large golden stone model of the Temple of Jerusalem. We were viewing it from what would have been the temple's eastern side, the side closest to the altar of sacrifice. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, said the teacher. He was reciting a passage of scripture. Two lambs of the first year, day by day continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. 
This, he said, was the law of the Talmud. Talmud was the name given to the sacrifices that were to be offered every day in the temple. So each day the offerings would begin with the sacrifice of the morning lamb and finish with the sacrifice of the evening lamb. All other sacrifices would come in between the two. The morning lamb would be offered up at the third hour of the day. With its death, the temple trumpets uh, would sound and the temple gates would be opened. Then about the ninth hour, the evening sacrifice would be slain and offered on the altar, at which time all the sacrifices would be finished. So the morning lamb was offered up at the third hour. What time is that? Nine o'clock, said the teacher. And when was Messiah crucified? The same hour, nine in the morning. So as the morning lamb was slain on the altar, the lamb of God was lifted on the altar of the cross and the trumpet sounded to announce the sacrifice and the temple gates were opened. Uh, and the evening lamb, I said, at the ninth hour, what time was that? Three in the afternoon, he said. Isn't that when Messiah died on the cross? It was. So the sacrifice of Messiah began with the offering up of the morning lamb and ending with the offering of the evening lamb and it all took place during the six hours of the temple sacrifices in between the two lambs from the first sacrifice to the last. The lamb of God, said the teacher, is all in all covering every moment, every need, every sin, every problem and every answer. He is the Talmud. You never told me, what does Talmud mean? It means continual, daily, perpetual, always and forever. And so he will be there for you always and will be your answer continuously, every day, always and forever. For Messiah is the Lamb, and not only the Lamb, but your Talmud. Isn't that interesting? I find it most interesting. Oh, let me just hasten, I guess, you know, I've got to get a new battery for my watch so I've got to go the old-fashioned way oh it's going to finish uh, verse 10 and 11 the one who believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself the one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son and the testimony is this that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Well, I ask you the question. Do you have life? Do you know that if you were to die today, that you're going to be with Jesus? Do you know that? Well, I think so. Um, uh, I hope so. Uh, uh, we can know so. I mean, K-N-O-W. We can know. We really, really, really can know that we are saved. Uh, eternal life is a gift. Eternal life is a gift. John 17, 3, This is eternal life, that they may know him, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Now, I know where I'm going when I die. I know I have eternal life. How can I be so sure? Because I've opened my life to Jesus, I've repented of my sin, I've confessed him as Lord of my life, and I believe what the Word of God says. I delight in what the Word of God says. It's a gift. Eternal life is a gift. We cannot earn that gift. I remember going to a church was 
going to be officially opened in a few days' time, and it was open for the public to look at before it was open. And I went in, looked around, and someone came alongside of me and gave me a tour of the church and said, uh, <coughs> see this placard on the wall? Uh, my husband and I, we paid for that. <laughs> um, uh, see this row of seats here? Uh, my husband and I, we purchased those for the church. <laughs> and here I was getting a tour and being told what this couple had done. And obviously it was like, Checking out brownie points. Look what I've done. Look what I've done, God. Look what I've done. You've got to receive me into heaven because of all the things I've done. We're not saved by works that we do, our works of righteousness. We're saved through trusting in Jesus. And I trust that you have given your life to him. I could say more. Let's just bow our hearts and pray. Eternal life is a gift. We've just passed the Christmas season. If we've had children, grandchildren, and we were there at the giving of gifts, we would see the gifts under the tree, probably, and, oh, this is for you, oh, this is for you. Can you imagine one of the children saying, oh, no, Daddy, no, Mommy, I'm sorry, I, 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 I can't receive that gift. Why not? Well, I'm not good enough. <laughs> I haven't pleased you enough this year. Oh no, it's just the opposite. They want and they want to open those gifts before Christmas comes. Gifts are gifts. They cannot be earned. And eternal life is a gift. We cannot earn it. It's Jesus who paid the price for us to be forgiven. It's Jesus who took upon himself the judgment we are due for our sins. It's Jesus. And he rose from the dead and he's very much alive today. And he's knocking at the door of our hearts. And he's saying, I want to come in. I want to come in. I want to come in. Will you welcome me in? Will you invite me in to be the master of your life, the Lord of your life? And I prayed a simple prayer decades ago as I heard the gospel being preached, knowing I needed to be forgiven, knowing I needed a right relationship with God. And from my heart, I prayed, Dear God, please forgive me all of my sins. Jesus, take over my life. It's yours. It wasn't a religious prayer. It was so simple. But it came from my heart. And the moment I prayed such a prayer, something happened on the inside. I suddenly felt clean on the inside. I felt a lift, a pressure lift off me. I just knew I had passed out of death into life. I just knew I had received the gift of eternal life. And I have never doubted that once in, in, in 55 years, 56 years, whatever it is. Never doubted for one moment. I know I'm saved. Not because I'm good, but because God is good. Because I believe his word and I believe what Jesus did for us on the cross. I believe he was raised from the dead the third day and is very much alive today. So if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord, you can do that today. You can lift your heart to God in prayer and pray a simple prayer from your heart as I did. And if you do not know Jesus or you're not sure that you know him and you need someone just to talk to or pray with you, there are those of us here this morning who would be delighted to talk with you and pray with you as you take that all-important step. Heavenly Father, thank you. You're only a prayer away. 
all because of Jesus, his death and his resurrection. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love, for your grace. Amen. Amen. Phew. Thank you.